Welcome, everybody, to the Apex Sunday podcast. We're hosted by two petrol heads, myself, John Dowsett, and Rob Ross. And this is the podcast that banters and rambles on about Formula One races, news, and events. John, the new F1 official game is around the corner. I've watched a few videos about the new features. Do you have any interest in Formula One games or racing games in general? I'd love to have a system that could play those games, but I understand that, that the demand is quite high for uh, systems in, in, in the new games. The F1 2021 game isn't too bad in terms of demands, but in terms of gear, a cheap wheel is 400 bucks. A good wheel is over a thousand bucks probably. So it's not a cheap habit to get into to do it properly. Everyone who I've seen who've gone up to the higher versions of the wheels drive better right away. So right. that's pretty cool. And then the other thing is that the F1 game, the official one at least, doesn't have VR. Assetto Corsa does have VR. And from VR, from what I understand, that completely improves everything when you drive because you feel like you're driving a, a car. Obviously, you don't feel the physics, the, the G-force and all that, but you tend to look forward. You tend to look as if you were in a real car versus non-VR. So I'd love to try that one day. I'd like to drive most sport. I'd mm -hmm. like to drive sports cars. Yeah. I'd like to drive what I know and what, you know, and I think F1 is just, it's like fighter pilot yep. level, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And Driver61, that channel that we've both been raving about in private, they did an analysis on VR versus non-VR gaming. And again, the VR gaming, he really, really liked that. But in terms of fighter pilots and so forth, we both watched which one did you watch on his driver profiles? The Alonso one? The Alonso one. Yeah. Yes, yes. That kind of freaked yes. me out to see him take the wheels and just jam them in through the corner. We have Max and Lewis in the current lineup, perhaps Charles Leclerc. These are drivers who try to do everything they can to get the most out of their car. And that Alonso thing was just utterly bizarre. What did you think of that? It just screams of what kind of talent he has. Because I remember you saying you saw him at the Canadian Grand Prix and you, you took a corner totally different than the other drivers. He's a phenomenal driver. Yeah. I've seen this in road racing. And actually, one of the people that commented, Angus McSack, um, he's, he's a very accomplished ice racer mm -hmm. and, and now a road racer. Yes. I've seen him ice race. And he's won multiple championships. Oh, yeah? And... In ice racing, you're always looking for traction, and the traction is constantly changing. So where are you going to find that traction? Yes. And you have to experiment and do things. We don't see so much of that in Formula One. Mm -hmm. See a little bit of it in sports cars. Actually see a fair amount of it in sports cars. And in, and in sports cars, we see different lines, too, because different cars perform differently through corners. Right. Whereas we don't see that in Formula One that much either. They're all taking pretty much the same line. Yes. Yes. But the technique is just trying anything to get that extra inch. Is, I think it, mm -hmm. that, so that was a wonderful video on Alonso. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think you'll really enjoy the Senna one too, where he, he blips the throttle, almost like people do ABS braking, where you pump the brakes to not have them lock up. He would do that with the throttle constantly. Right. And you'd kind of- Through a corner. Yeah. He'd keep the car yeah. sort of like in between just- slightly oversteering and under, like the balance is just incredible. Like the, the edge that he, he accomplished by doing that very unusual technique because no other driver does it that way. Just incredible. If you've driven a car at the limit mm -hmm. 
And I think we all have, everybody has, everybody's, even if it's on ice, every, everybody has gone over the limit. The back ends come out on your car. Yes. And gathering it back up again should be second nature for any race car driver. But the speed that it happens, and with Alonso turning in the way he turned in, I mean, he's just cranking the wheel. Yeah. That, that's like rally driving, for heaven's sake. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and yet he has car control he actually can gather it up like yeah it's mind-boggling because the violence of that that's close to doing a scandinavian flick where you actually have a pause after the back end comes out so you can gather it back up again Mm -hmm. but in his case it's just gonna snap isn't it yeah (laughs) it's just incredible i couldn't believe it and when you get to the schumacher one that one's pretty interesting too because he talks about corner rotation and he's a master of that very fast entry very fast in the corner and very fast exit. And basically he would use the rear to steer the car and rotate the car. So you'd go in deeper into the corner and then sort of fling the car around and go through it. They compared his steering traces, like the throttle traces and everything else to Johnny Herbert. But his steering trace was the most interesting because he was constantly doing little corrections, which indicates that he was on the edge. Whereas Herbert, there was no corrections in his steering traces. So he wasn't quite on the edge. And so those small differences, a tenth of a second a lap, two tenths, they make a massive difference at the end of the race, obviously. It's just interesting to me that we have a bunch of very, very, very great drivers in F1. And there's a few of them that are just a little bit better. And they always manage to find themselves in the best teams eventually, if not initially. And then then it's the end of the story for everyone else, it seems. (laughs) You have to know that the underlings are doing everything that they can. Yes. Well, did, when your racing days, did you know anyone who moved on very much further from club racing and so forth? All kinds of people. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And and at the same time, there were a fair amount of the upper class guys that would come down and, and race in my class just to shake down cars. Mm-hmm. We'd have very, very serious, serious race cars on the track. Right. At the same time, with very, <laughs> very serious pro drivers on the track. I mean, I, I was on the track with Ludwig Heinrath and, you know, Scott Maxwell and David Empringham right. and those gentlemen. I, it was past Paul Tracy that was already in the stratosphere mm-hmm. by the time I started racing. Right. And did you start, how did you start racing? Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to race a, a Mini, a Mini Cooper, and I bought a Mini and had it close to race prep, then discovered I needed probably another $100,000 to make it competitive <laughs> because there were some Americans yep. that were throwing big bucks at them and mm-hmm. making them do crazy things. <laughs> and then I bought a Volvo 544 Sport thinking I was going to vintage race that. And virtually the same thing happened. Right. That put me in a Suzuki Swift GTI. Mm-hmm. But I, I basically met a, a, a race car driver and said I'd always wanted to be a race car driver. And he just looked at me and said, do it. Right. Don't say you want to do it. Just go do it. Right. And I think that was the impetus. I had somebody push me over the edge. It'd been a dream since I was a little kid. Mm. I see. But you just went, you went right into it. Just no training, no karting experience other than occasional cart tracker what was what was your experience level absolutely zero. Oh yeah i went to race car school mm-hmm. and i thought it was a great driver and i you know i drove like a maniac mm-hmm. nobody could really keep up with me you know those heady days when you had friends that 
would drive like that on the road as well. Highly illegal. Right. I always seemed to be out front. So I just knew I was a great driver. <laughs> as it turned out, I wasn't such a great driver. You go to race car school and you get woken up about what it's really all about. Yes. And got yelled at and it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I, I loved race car school. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the new F1 game, the biggest message that I've seen from people who have tried it out is that you have to manage the car a lot more. For instance, there's no, because they eliminated the special engine modes, you can't control your fuel in the race anymore. So when I used to play that game, I would always control my fuel and my, I would try to be soft on the tires. So I'd always be doing lean fuel, then making it rich at certain parts of the circuit, back and forth and all that kind of thing. But now you can't do that at all. So you just have to control the fuel with your foot entirely. <laughs> As the cars have become more complex, do you think that there is more controlling, more managing the car throughout a race than there used to be? Or is it just that the management is different in nature? In the past, it was manage it so that it wouldn't fall apart. Now it's manage it so that your tires last, basically, I guess, and that your fuel lasts. Reliability outside of this race is usually pretty good, even for tires. There's always been car set up. You know, mm -hmm. from from day one, there's always been car set up. And some people like twitchy cars and some people like pointy cars. Some people like cars that are tail happy. And yes, there you go. And it all depends on their driving style. And there's lots of stuff to manage. There will always be things to manage. Mm-hmm. From the early days of Formula One, there were lots of things that needed to be tweaked and changed. I think more now than ever, it's the engineers play such a big role. Absolutely. And the pit crew. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to see it go back to the days of no pit stop. And no radio. Radio is okay. These guys have got a lot to manage. <laughs> it is a team sport. So it is something where the engineer does have the ability to say, you know, let your teammate buy or okay. your teammate's doing this. So slow down your pace a little bit, which is going to back up everybody. So your teammate can take off and make sure your teammate wins the race. Yes, that's true. And that's just part of Formula One, whether you like it or not, that's just mm -hmm. part of Formula One. What would you say your driving style is? In, in my experience, there, there are two kinds of tracks, technical tracks, and then there are testicular tracks. I'm testicular track kind of guy. Uh, most sport with all its blind corners and having to do things that just don't make any sense at all. Yeah. I like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Most sports also a rhythm track. It's right. It, that's my Mecca. That's my heaven. And all the other tracks I've driven, I don't get the same. I can't get into a rhythm. I've tried driving other than smooth. I'd like to think I'm a consistent smooth driver. I can't honestly say that I fully mastered that. Yeah, my I'd say that I have no racing experience. I can tell you what a friend of mine's girlfriend said to me once. She said about her boyfriend, he's fast but hard, and I'm fast but smooth. And there's no sexual connotations there, but... Uh, <laughs> you are very I smooth. I've seen you at karting, and you're a very smooth driver. Yeah, so what does that mean? Like, what does that mean to you up against a smooth driver versus a non-smooth driver? Does it, it doesn't really matter to you. It doesn't it makes no difference to you, right? And like how, how you approach passing them, how you approach racing them. It's interesting you say that. It makes me think of what my experiences are and who sticks out. And if we go right back to my childhood, we've got Ronnie Peterson... Mm -hmm. 
and James Hunt, who were absolute maniacs. Right. And I can still see them driving in my head. I can still see Jill driving in my head. Uh, I watched Jackie Stewart win the Canadian Grand Prix in 1971. The man was smooth, but he was fast. And so it was pretty cool watching that, I, I have to admit. I mean, the man wasn't a spectacular driver in regards to hanging the tail out, and not, whereas Ronnie Peterson came out of every corner sideways. That's the point I'm trying to make here, that the balls-to-the-walls drivers, the non-smooth ones, are always the glorified ones. Drivers like Prost, who is extremely accomplished, obviously, he's not glorified because he was too smooth. Yeah. When I first got into F1, there was a lot of politics, I guess, of the past between Prost and Senna. A lot of people hated either one of them, and usually it was Prost that they hated, I found. <laughs> I actually took to Prost quite a lot. I really liked the way he drove and so forth, and I always wondered if that's because I relate to that. That's the way I would drive a car. And Jill, what was that famous battle? It's always Jill and someone else. Arnoux? Oh yeah, Rene Arnoux. Yeah. You know, that you, you basically could never see that in modern F1, I don't think. <laughs> or it would be very difficult. You see a little glimpse of it. Yeah, but not that long. Like, it just went on for four or five corners. That's what I mean. Like, we see little bits, but that long, I doubt we'd see that again. But we may, especially next, next season. I don't think that the other teams give them the opportunity to do it. I don't right. think the drivers let the other... Right. Drivers do that is to get your elbows out. I'm not letting you into this corner. I'm not, not going <laughs> to let you drive beside me. Right. All right. Well, should we uh, move on to some news? Yes. Anything on your mind regarding news? Nothing really. Yeah. Singapore was canceled due to the pandemic. So that looks to be replaced by two races in the States, most likely both at Kota. The only thing that that means to me is that Red Bull's not going to be happy because Singapore is this tight street circuit that, you know, we've seen them do well at Baku and Monaco. So Red Bull has lost one of their strong circuits because of that. How Kota, that's probably a wash between the two, Red Bull and Mercedes. Although I have to say, Last time I was pretty convinced that Lewis will take this championship. Now I'm kind of doubting that. <laughs> so it's, it looks to be a real battle. The other thing I saw was Russell and Bottas are both talking about getting new contracts. And Lewis too. Toto says he wants Lewis's done by June 15th, which is just you know, less than a week from now. And then we're going to see what happens between Russell and Bottas. Do you think if Russell is promoted to Mercedes, what will happen to Valtteri? I think he will not find another seat, at least immediately, and may look elsewhere. I think he's tainted goods. He's fast. He's a great driver, but I think he's tainted goods. And I think there's too much young talent coming up the pipe. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. As far as contracts go, is Lewis going to sign again with Mercedes? Is Mercedes still going to be an entity next year? We disagree with this a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that Mercedes is on the way out. Toto is definitely ready to retire. He's had enough of this. I mean, he came into it a multi-multi-millionaire. Mm -hmm. He's got his jollies. <laughs> How much more can he do? He's made his mark. Yes. And did you see, did you see Nico Rosberg had an interview where he basically said, there's no way I'd be a F1 team manager. I've seen what Toto has to go through. <laughs> so he's not really interested in that. <laughs> but I think they're going to be around at least till 2024. 
that's when apparently in 2025 we get new engines and all that kind of stuff. So I don't see them just taking off. They could extract and just do engines, but I don't know. I don't see any evidence of that. And I think Lewis would already know. In other news, we've got the change in the flexible rear wing. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming. The test is coming on the next race. And that's really going to hurt Red Bull. Red Bull's always found a way to take an inferior power unit and somehow take that car and put it up at the front. Mm -hmm. Interior and inferior engine, like the Renault. And that's all Adrian Newey. And this time, it's not a blown diffuser. This time, it's a wing. Yes. The other teams can't catch up. Yeah. And I think the Honda engine this year is definitely much better than it ever has been so far. You look at the Sonoda and Gasly. Gasly qualified fourth. Sonoda, he was qualified seventh and finished seventh. And there's a long straight on that circuit. They, They all have Honda engines. And of course, the Red Bulls did well until Max's tire blew. So the Honda engine is also very much improved. And the car is great. The drivers, Gasly, Perez, we'll see. Definitely improved, but will that continue? Max, we already know, and Sunada, he had a good race, but there's two good races, some bad races. He's still a rookie. I still see a lot of potential in him. We have to just give him time. I don't think you can measure any of these guys in their first year. No. Can, uh, can you? I mean, I don't know. Right? It's... Well, look at what they've been saying about even moving teams. It takes them a year to even get up to speed with the car, unless you're Lewis or Senna or something like that. But that kind of brings us to Alonzo. I've heard reports that people are comparing him to Michael Schumacher's return. He took three years off, Alonzo two, and Schumacher never, ever got back to anywhere close to what he used to be. Nobody goes away and comes back. And I used to think... It's never been done, really, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I don't recall. I mean, Prost went away for one year, and then he hopped into Williams. So that's like, like Alonzo hopping in the Toyota for the sports car. It's like, will he win? The only people who can beat him is the other, the other Toyota, right? Right. So basically the same with Prost when he came back with the Williams in 93, right? All right, well, the only other thing in news is Toyota has entered a 24-hour race with a combustion hydrogen engine. So not hydrogen fuel cells. Oh, cool. Yeah. They didn't do too well because it's extremely early days, but that's why they went and did it. They had to stop like six times or something to refuel. It was just a research project, basically, at this point. But that does tie into future of F1, any kind of hydrogen combustion. That kind of sounds like F1 would be interested in that kind of thing. But to be honest, I don't exactly understand how hydrogen combustion works. But apparently it can be very dangerous yeah. because hydrogen is very flammable. But anyways, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I also saw that BMW is entering sports cars again in a couple of years. So F1 will have to be attractive to other manufacturers soon to get people like BMW back into the sport. We'll see what happens. Can they though? I, I don't know. The cost of entry is so massive. It is. It is, isn't it? Honda is leaving, which kind of writes a message to every other manufacturer, I think. And that in terms of development and research... I would even say in terms of marketing, although I think you have a better grasp of that, Honda doesn't need F1 to sell their cars. Because to me, however bad or good Honda does in Formula One has absolutely nothing to do with their road cars. 
I disagree. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday thing is gone. Mm -hmm. We don't have the brand loyalty that my grandparents had. My grandfather drove a Buick and he drove a Buick. My grandfather drove a Buick and it's time for a new car. You got another Buick. (laughs) I think that the issue of new cars coming into Formula One is it's just too bloody risky. Yes. You know, it's one thing to, to come in and win races and brand your company that way. But when you come into Formula One and you fail, what does that say about the brand? Mm -hmm. Easily, easily that you spend probably close to a billion bucks by the time you've got it rolling. Yeah, you spend over $100 million or whatever it is, right? The risk is just great. It really is. (laughs) However, again, you know, you go around the world and take a look at at advertising. Formula One is huge. North America, not so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen an ad in any in, uh, in the New Yorker magazine or anything it's... that I've read with a picture of Lewis Hamilton shilling something. But I'll guarantee you, there are billboards all over Europe with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. South America, yeah, yeah. When I was in Spain a few years ago, I saw Alonso billboards and some MotoGP billboards because the Spanish are huge in that sport as well. But yeah, it's definitely more of a presence outside of North America. In the Canada, I think that F1 is definitely more known in the general populace. Because when I first got into it, people had kind of heard of it, but had no idea what it was and had no idea why anyone would watch it, basically. So when I met you, I was kind of surprised. Oh, there's another F1 fan. And even to this day, when I meet another person that I don't know who's an F1 fan, I'm always a little surprised. Whereas in Europe and probably in Asia and various other spots. F1 fans all over the place, right? Absolutely, yeah. How long have you been an F1 fan? Since the mid-1960s, since I was about six or seven years old. Right. Mine would be 1992, because that's when Charlie put on the spa race for me. Before that, I remembered Jackie Stewart on his The Wide World of Sports. Yeah. He was famous for that. And in Lego, I had built a Formula One car with a refueling station. But I have no recollection of why I did that as a kid or anything like that. Because you're a model builder. So there you go. <laughs> I guess so. So let's move on to qualifying. Great looking circuit. Too many red flags. The first three in Q2 were within 0.009 at one point. Lance crashes in Q1, causes a red flag. Ricardo crashes in Q2. There's a third red flag. Antonio was the other one in Q1. Vettel was three one hundredths out of Q3, but obviously that didn't make much of a difference for his result. Fernando outqualified Ocon for a change. Total Wolf, still a hardline mask noser. <laughs> Doesn't understand how to put the, the nose must be covered. Total. <laughs> the nose must be covered. I have to say that I really, nothing against Martin Brundle, but I really enjoyed DeResta being on the commentary for that. And then the fourth, Q3 was a total chaos. Sunada in science crash, a fourth red flag, second session stop. Leclerc on pole, he has nine, nine poles compared to five for Max, which is interesting. And again, Gasly, I thought, was a standout qualifying fourth. What did you think of qualifying? I disagree with you on the track. I think the track is, is an abomination. Oh, do you? When you yeah, the, well, for the most part, it's a beautiful track. And then you've got a couple of sections that just don't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are people that, you know, you put a wheel off by a couple of inches and yeah, you're going to go into a wall. Yes. That's not a racetrack. You, you've got to give guys room to gather back up again. The qualifying on the whole was 
way more eventful than the race. Yeah. <laughs> I just found it sort of a drag, just red flag, red flag, red flag, like four red flags, two, sh the session was stopped twice. What does it say about the circuit or about the cars on this circuit? It just doesn't seem a, a very good match. Like it, there are some spectacular races here at times and some spectacular passes, but overall it's just, it's made to be a safety car circuit. Like you're guaranteed red flags almost every time. But compare it to Monaco and how do they pull it off at Monaco? Yeah. Monaco is this on steroids in regards to kissing walls and just being right on the ragged edge with no runoff. Mm -hmm. And yet they can put on a half decent race. Yep. You know, still it's back down to qualifying. Mm -hmm. Like I said, give, give me Monza, give me Spa, give me Mosport, bring it back to Mosport. Yes. Give me the real world elevation change road courses. Right. Driving through cities, no. This is Formula One. Yep. Big open circuits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fast corners rather than a bunch of slow corners, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's got to have a hairpin. It's got to have sure. a proper hairpin. But anyway, yes. I'm not saying 100% fast corners, but you know, more often. So let's move on to the race. Again, I would say it was nice to have DeResta on commentary. I don't know where Martin was. Sometimes he does sports car races and so forth. I didn't see them mention anything. Wolf on the race day did figure out how to wear a mask. So that was, that was exciting. Gasly and Perez had great starts. Uh, Perez had a great pass on Gasly. Perez knows he's out next year. He'll try to win. That's what I was thinking, but I don't know if he's out next year or not. They're the second driver of Red Bull. You're just never too sure, but. He definitely got the maximum that he could, given that his teammate... He has a one-year contract, right? He does, yes. So you're inevitably in danger if you're not close to max and you're in Red Bull, but he could be renewed. And as far as I was concerned, the race was done by lap 14, <laughs> save for a safety car. Bottas had a terrible race. Leclerc, he, felt he fell back to sixth from his pole position, but that was kind of... In my mind, it wasn't Bottas's fault. Where did he qualify? I can't recall exactly. But it's, again, once you're behind cars and so forth, you, just, you can never get up there. But I don't know, Lewis, Lewis qualified well, raced well for the most part. So regardless of it being bought as his fault or not, he has to look like that. Yeah. My Mazepin was, again, miles back of Schumacher. I don't know if you heard that after he unlapped himself on the restart, Schumacher passed him again and Mazepin almost took him out. And there was a lot of anger about that. <laughs> People aren't too happy with him. Ralph Schumacher said about Mazepin, such a nice guy out of the car. He's great to talk to. Once he gets in the car, totally different story. <laughs> he thinks he should have some more consequences for that. And I guess the story of the race was the tire failures. And that basically changed everything, especially the two-lap restart <laughs> at the end there. Vettel was great. Once again, he did so well in Monaco, and he did amazingly well in this race. I was pretty happy to see that. Yeah. That fight with Gasly and Leclerc, the beginning was really great. I'm of two thoughts on that one. I want to see Vettel do really well. I want to see Lance beat him because I'm Canadian. And I don't want Lance being diminished, and he's being diminished by Vettel, which is good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, like, what happened to Vettel at Ferrari? Was the environment just not for him? Was the car not for him? 
I guess we'll read about it years from now and all the research and everyone talks and so forth. But he's really, at least the last two races, like the Vettel of old. And for once, I watched the post-race press conference. I have to say I was shocked by how different they are now from the last time I watched a post-race press conference. They're so much more relaxed and more open. It reminded me of the MotoGP press conferences where the riders there tell you exactly what happened during the race in a way that you get more insight. And for a while in F1, the answers weren't that insightful. But this post-race interview, they were bantering between each other and joking and just very open. And I really enjoyed it. I think it's a better way to go. You know, like this looking professional, being professional is one thing, but this kind of atmosphere is way better than this, you know, the cold, static boxed answers that we usually get it's taken them a long time to come around though mm-hmm. in my it, it, i haven't enjoyed them and haven't really watched them since peter windsor left which really dates it definitely a long time ago peter windsor would ask intelligent questions and they got rid of them i guess for a number of reasons there is the switch between bbc and itv and and sky and yep he was involved in that initial american f1 team that folded Somehow, wasn't he? Or am I misremembering? I think he was. I think he right. was. It, right. it never got off the ground. No, it didn't. No. 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 But they they, they, they were going to be the best, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, the race itself, I mean, I guess the biggest controversy was why did they wait so long? Max was out on lap 46 from the tire failure, and they waited a few laps before they stopped the race, and then they had a two-lap end of race. It was just very unusual. And you heard on the radio other teams complaining about Sasunada in particular not respecting the wave double yellows. Right. And the response was, they all didn't follow the rules. I'm going to have to talk to them next, next race. I don't know. This whole rule thing and this whole sort of enforcing the rules, it's been a bit of a mess, hasn't it? It has. Mm-hmm. Coming back to that last, those last two laps, I have to say that without those last two laps, I would have walked away from that race thinking, why do I watch Formula One? Because this is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It opened up the human element of everything. I mean, Lewis is a human being, and he messed up. And it gets even better, as Charlie Walker said, he reminded me or us of the quote, Mm -hmm. this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, (laughs) said by Lewis. And then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised these kind of things don't happen more often. When you look at those steering wheels, there's like multi, multi-page manual for them. There's over 20 controls on them and so forth. And they'll probably change that control to a different location now because it's a risk. But wow, I mean, I, I laughed out loud, just like I did last season when Vettel went off at Monza. He just went straight through the uh, styrofoam barriers because he lost his brakes. So whenever an F1 car has a massive failure or some sort of like that, sometimes it could look unbelievably comical. So. <laughs> It looked pretty funny. At first, it's like, okay, Sergio's not going to win this race. And then Lewis kept going straight. And that was the end of it. <laughs> so those last two races were, sorry, last two laps were quite exciting. But, you know, again, that's not the way to have exciting racing. That's just sort of a side effect of the circumstances. Again, I'm really looking forward to next season with the ground effects cars. I really hope that improves the racing a lot and that we have more sort of you know, if half the race is as good as those last two laps, that'd be a massive improvement. <laughs> I, I just, I can't wait for the change. Mm-hmm. Gilbert commented and said, many years ago, I had a barbecue with a magic button 
it never worked, but it smoked just like Lewis. In fact, I haven't seen a lunch like that since Cheech and Chong raced their van against John Force. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that name, John Force, in so many years. He's a drag racer, right? <laughs> He's a drag racer, yeah. And a character. And I guess weight is not a factor in drag racing. You can be over 200 pounds, no problem. Oh, sure you can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what the horsepower ratings are of the modern day drag cars, but I remember when I was a kid, who was it was the Snake Don Prudhomme and Don Garlitz were the two big guys, and I remember them showing up with the first cars that you know were like twelve hundred horsepower, right. thirteen hundred horsepower, and everybody just saying, "Wow, that's crazy!" You know, so God knows what they are now. <laughs> Have you seen the big tires in slow motion? Mm-hmm. How much they warp and so forth? Yeah. Have you ever been to a drag race? I have been when I was a little kid. I remember it being unbelievably loud, but I was so young. And it was must have been well over 40 years ago. I don't remember much about it. There was some stock car race at the same event. It was out somewhere in southern Ontario. <laughs> I can't remember exactly. Cayuga, probably. That's exactly what it was. Is that still going or do you know? Yeah, sure it is. I think it's now called Toronto Motorsports Park. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's an unfortunate name. (laughs) Yeah, I remember it being a bit chaotic. I don't know what the level of the drivers are or what the equipment is at Cayuga. Is it club racing? Is that what it is? Just a local? No, no. They have have pro races there, too. Okay. Yeah. Is it the SCCA? Is that it? CCA. Anything else in the race that caught your attention? It's kind of funny that we spend most of our time talking about everything but the race because the races <laughs> thus far haven't been the greatest. Perez winning, I'm just disappointed that he won in the way that he won. It would it would have been nice if he could have beaten his teammate on the track. Right. And I think he's got the ability to do it. That would be nice to see. Yeah. Battle and, and Gasly yeah. on the podium. Wow. Like, isn't that wonderful? Now who's chasing down everybody is Lando and Hopefully they can keep the car under him. That's going to keep him up at the front. I'm disappointed in Danny. Mm-hmm. I expected yeah. more from Danny. Yeah. And he's clearly just having problems with the car. Mazepin, I don't think he belongs on the track. He is so far down the, the ladder and so much slower than everybody. I'm shocked that they're keeping him and that they're allowing him to stay on the track. I'm wondering how long he will be there. I, I don't, do you think he'll finish the season? I think he will because they're sponsored Euro Cowley, who is his father, who's a billionaire. And so, you know, I think the influence there is such that he's going right. to remain. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we've got three billionaire sons in F1 right now. Only one of them scores points, and that's Lance. Now, to be fair to Williams, Williams, Russell came close, but then he made a bad move and crashed into Bottas. So Latifi has very little chance of scoring any points. And Mazepin has no chance of scoring any points. But again, if we compare him to Mick, very hard to understand how good or bad Mick is doing because he's in that car. But he's doing way better than Mazepin. Like way, way, way better. And if Mazepin, if they're waiting for him to improve, can debate if that's okay or not, or if he's ever going to improve. But his conduct, he doesn't belong in the circuit, almost taking people out. Everyone's complaining about him racing badly, not just racing slowly, but racing badly. That's not good. And with these sort of lack of crackdown on that kind of thing, he has he's had no consequences for anything so far, as far as I can tell, other than his reputation. And 
frankly, if you're the son of a billionaire, I'm not sure that you give a what other people think of you. I think he does. I think he cares a lot. I think he's, he's yeah, to an extent, I, I'd agree with that. He cares certain people, but other, I'm not sure. It's a monkey on his back that he's a billionaire's son. We'll see if he, if he survives the season. I don't even, frankly, know why Haas has been around for the last couple of seasons, really. They started out very well and then proceeded to move to the back pretty quickly. Who do you blame that on? Is that Steiner? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it might be Haas himself. They've stayed with that model from the very beginning and have never changed it. Their car is designed by the same, by Delara, who make the Indy cars, I think. So is that their weakness? They've gotten five seasons or whatever it is of Delara chassis. They've got the Ferrari suspension and gearbox and engine. That hasn't been the greatest last couple seasons, but before that, it wasn't bad. Mick's got to be just entirely chuffed because you can't measure a driver against anybody but their teammate. Don't know, but like they said at the very beginning, this is our car. We're not working on it. We'll see you next year. That's basically what Haas is at the moment. Then you've got Russell, who is embarrassing Latifi. You've got Norris, who's embarrassing Danny, which is, whew. And for the first time, for the first time this year, Giovinazzi did not embarrass Raikkonen. And I don't know what's going on with Kimi. He's a great driver. Again, like, yeah, but what is it? How, many, how long has he been in F1? 15 seasons or something right, like so that? Right, so he should really know it by now. He should be able to drive, be able to make his car engineer it and, the, and set it up the way he wants it. Perhaps, but he's basically driving for Sauber again, right? You have now our Alfa Romeo. Yes. And that's an interesting team too, because before they were run, before they became Alfa Romeo, they actually had a Honda deal lined up for Honda engines before Red Bull did. And then Vassar killed that deal when he took over the team and went with Ferrari. Hindsight is nice, but I always, even at the time, even though Honda wasn't doing too well, I always thought, why go from the support of a factory of Honda to get customer engines from Ferrari? I just never understood that. And since that time, other than Leclerc, who did really well and moved immediately to Ferrari after his first season, <laughs> the car hasn't been that great and they haven't really done that much. Kimi, I have no idea about. He won that race for Ferrari in the States a couple seasons ago. Before that, he hadn't won in a long, long time. Frankly, he, has, he almost won with McLaren. He won with Ferrari, but and he did win. I'm not trying to delegitimize his win, but at the same time, Fernando and Hamilton lost that championship as well from their own, for their own fault. Anyways, I don't know what's happening with Kimi. I agree, though, that the new blood is pretty interesting, and if Kimi leaves Perez, even Perez, even Vettel, even though he's, he's doing well, even Lewis, I could see leaving Bottas. I'd be happy with Russell, Leclerc, Gasly, Norris. Science. Science. Sunoda becomes really good. Fernando's probably going to Ocon. leave. Ocon. You know, we've got some really, really good drivers, don't we? We just need teams. Why are you focusing on Perez leaving? Because he's driving for Red Bull and he's not Max Verstappen. <laughs> so the last four years, that's a seat that... I agree that he's probably not going to leave, but it's always in danger. That's all. I always think that until this result, I thought he's going to try 
to do as best as he can in this race because if he doesn't improve soon, Red Bull is going to look elsewhere. That's all. He's but, 31, right? Something like that. He's been around for a long time. But maybe that's what Red Bull needs, and they don't even realize it. I think he's got a future. But then, what do I know? I mean, I thought that Kimmy was going to come back and rock the world. Right. And, and that just shows how bad fandom is because it's, <laughs> nobody's done it. So how, how is he going to come back and do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, t- I do believe that Sergio will be there next year, unless he does terribly for the rest of the year. But until that point, they were basically saying, management, Red Bull management was saying, disappointing in qualifying, pretty good in the race. So again, he was really good in the race this time. As for my driver of the race, I'm having difficulty between Vettel and Gasly, but I'm going to have to go with Sebastian, I think. Just given that his his past with Ferrari, his recent past, Leclerc kind of putting him to shame, he looked kind of beaten down. And it's just really nice to see him on the podium again and take advantage of the situation. What about you for driver of the day? I don't really have one. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to categorize anything. And again, I could pick Vettel because Vettel's, but he's, he's, a, he's an all-star. Right. Uh, Gasly, I think, I think I'd have to go with Gasly. For Gasly to, to end up on the podium, it's more than luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're both close because Gasly would be a close second for me. And I'd love to see him in a great car as well. Again, we're going to look for next year, and hopefully all these new great racers will have opportunity to show us this more often. I don't think I can pick a driver. I just have a tough time because I, I, I can go through all of these drivers and say what I liked and what I didn't like. And I would say, for the most part, mm-hmm. the people in the top 10 did a fantastic job. True. Yeah, I just like to do driver of the race because at the end of the year, we can tally them up and see if someone in particular stood out for us or depending on what we select for me at the moment, it would probably be Lando overall, but there's a lot of races to go. What about rating the race? We gave, we gave Monaco a one. (laughs) I only give this a four. I'm going to give it a four. I was thinking three. Yep. Just because of the last two laps. Right. (laughs) It woke me up. Yeah. It woke me up from my nap. Right. (laughs) Other than that, there was not there was not a lot going on other than tires blowing up, mm-hmm. and I don't know what was with that, but yeah, blowing up tires is not cool. No, no, it, we've seen it happen from time to time. And I think Pirelli they're in an unfortunate situation where you see after the race, I saw people going, "Oh, Pirelli should be kicked out of the sport." Pirelli this, Pirelli that, but perhaps we should just stop even responding or listening to these people who are unbelievably reactive because if they ran F1 teams, not a single driver on the grid would be on the grid right now. <laughs> you know, not a single manufacturer. Oh, let's get rid of these guys. Let's get rid of these guys, right? So <laughs> it's not easy to create a tire that can last that long against those kind of pressures at that kind of speed. So it's inevitable that certainly it's going to happen from time to time. And compared to the past, we're in a different world, aren't we? Compared to reliability from the past and I was thrilled to see that uh, profiled tire go away. Mm. Right. At the same time, I can look back at that era of the profiled tire and everybody had the same tire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how wonderful is that? (laughs) Really, it it truly is. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I wish they could go back to that. Do you want 
multiple uh, tire manufacturers? What is your opinion on tire wars? Well, listen, it made a huge difference in the past. Yeah, because that Alonzo video, for example, the tires were part of the reason he did that as well, in addition to the car. Yes, yes. The interesting part about that was is it's that there's the extra little element that can completely change a race. And I love that. And I love that there's another element as in I'm with Michelin, you're with Pirelli, you're, you're with Bridgestone, I'm with Goodyear, whatever it may be. And it, it also comes back to the, what F1 is all about. And F1 is all about development. So if you've got the competition between those different tire manufacturers to come up with the fastest tire, yahoo, that's what it's about. I'd like to see that again. But again, Ken Slater said to me, let's get rid of pit stops. Let's get rid of the refueling and the changing of tires so we can see what these drivers are really about. Eh, is it really going to tell us what the drivers are about if they do that? No, because there's still going to be the the pit wall saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, it's kind of reminds me of Michael Schumacher. They used to say, you know, the pit stops helped him because, especially when there was refueling, because you didn't have to, a full car all the time. So you'd have three or four periods of lean time, or maybe two to three, depending on how many pit stops you had. And he could really, really take advantage of that. But again, you can take any set of rules and say, well, this driver will do a little bit better under that set versus that set. Well, you just have to adapt to whatever rules are, are put out there. I don't think there's anything that is glaring that needs to be changed in my mind other than the formula. Yes, and they're doing it. So it just remains to be seen how, how well they do. So the next race is France, Paul Ricard. And as you said at the beginning... Perhaps Red Bull will suffer a little bit if the flexi wing, if they've had to stiffen their wings a little bit. Some other teams as well, but Red Bull is the one that most, most people are concerned with. Other than that, it's nice to be in France again. And I'm looking forward to the race. It's a very interesting circuit, <laughs> different layouts that they can do and so forth. And I've always wondered if that would be the future of circuit development, where you're not limited to two or three layouts, you know, the internal smaller one, external bigger one they can do a whole bunch of different layouts of this circuit there there's a you're absolutely right about it being the wave of the future of uh, tweakable racetracks oh yeah they're going to do that you think oh they've been doing it everywhere for a very long time okay Mostport has a go-kart track that's adjustable shannonville has been adjustable for since the dawn of time I think it's brilliant because it, 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 you can cater it to whatever the class is of what's racing. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, you know, it's not just F1. There are so many different racing classes. I remember when Max got penalized for cutting a corner at Cota a few years ago. Christian Horner, basically his response was, basically, we should just make the circuit suitable for F1 and damn the other, other series. <laughs> and I thought, that was just such a terrible thing to say. It just, there's more to, to life than F1, even for Christian Horner. <laughs> yes. There's a new track. We didn't cover this in the news, but there's a new track going in near Barrie, mm -hmm. Ontario, called Oro Station. Have you heard about it? No, I have not. Another example of a 
beautiful, beautiful, beautiful racetrack. Okay. That is going to be configurable. Very, very nice. Right. Anyway. So the last thing I'd like to ask you is what did you see race at Osport other than your own class and the mixed classes you were in? Did you ever see any open wheel like Formula Ford or Formula V or Formula Atlantic? So many times I can't even talk about it. Oh, yeah? In, in, my, in the first race that I went to when I was a child, mm-hmm. they had Formula Ford. They had a mini spec race, so Austin Minis, Mini Coopers, I'm sure. They had a vintage race, and they had a GT race, as well as having the Grand Prix race. Right. And typically, that's what regional races are about. If you go to a regional race weekend, there'll be every class you can imagine, from the bone stock to Mm. the ultimate to chassis race car. And and then they usually have an open-wheel class Mm. that is just for cars that don't fit in any other class. Right. Which means that somebody like David Cronenberg can show up with with a, a 1959 Cooper Grand Prix car and race it. Right. <laughs> Way back when. You said you raced David Ebringham. Did you ever see him race uh, Atlantic? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Did you see Villeneuve race yes. Atlantic? And Cloud Bourbonnet? Yes. Remember him? Yes. Yeah. I remember... the. Formula Atlantic is dead. It's been dead for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, so that's basically Formula 2000. Oh, okay. We've lost the plot in Canada. Canada used to have a, such a wonderful development series. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just that. It was sedans. It was spec series. And- mm-hmm. yeah. I remember they, the Mazdas I've seen racing there as well at most port. Formula Mazda? Yeah. Yes. Nice. And there's also Formula BMW. I've seen Formula BMW race there as well. Right. Really, we have to get up to Mosport. I have to get you to Mosport. One of my now traditions is spending Father's Day at Mosport for the Vintage Festival. Right. The Vintage Festival is going on next weekend at Mosport. Oh, it is? Really? But there are no spectators. Ah, I see. And it's tragic. It's tragic. Anything else you want to talk about? Not at all. I'm looking forward to some real tracks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the real tracks as well. And I've seen that in the news that People are saying these are kind of an anomaly. And even Max is saying, once we get back to normal tracks, the Mercedes will be much more competitive. So next next race, we do have a relatively normal track. So we'll talk to you then, John, and thanks for the conversation. Bye. Thank you, Rob. Bye.